This is the BBC. This podcast is supported by advertising outside the UK. Hi everyone, I'm Jen. And I'm Jess. We're the hosts of the beauty podcast Fat Mascara, here to tell you about Strivectin's new Super C Retinol Brighten and Correct Vitamin C Serum. We often interview dermatologists on our podcast, and two of their favorite skincare ingredients to recommend are retinol and vitamin C. This Strivectin serum has both in one lightweight layerable formula. It also helps to smooth fine lines, and it's clinically proven to visibly brighten and firm skin. If you want to learn more about Strivectin's new Super C Retinol Brighten and Correct Vitamin C Serum, Visit strivectin.com. BBC Sounds. Music, radio, podcasts. Hi, this is Eddie Hearn. Just quickly popping up on the Checkered Flag podcast to tell you about the return of my podcast, No Passion, No Point. In this series, I'll be talking to Christian Horner, among loads of other A-list guests from the world of sport and beyond. If you missed series one, there's plenty to get stuck into on there too. Wayne Rooney, Katie Taylor, KSI, Noel Gallagher and Anthony Joshua. No passion, no point with me, Eddie Hearn. Listen and subscribe on BBC Sounds. are looking for two new drivers racing point find themselves in another covid storm and we're at a new track so plenty to discuss i'm jenny gow and this is the checkered flag podcast Unbelievably, this is round 12 of the Formula One World Championship of 2020 and we do like to be beside the seaside, especially when we're in Portugal and it's Portimao. A lovely place to go racing and one that we haven't been to for 24 years. Portugal, I mean. This track, F1's never actually raced at. As always, we have Jolian Palmer, Jack Nichols, and Andrew Benson, the BBC's chief F1 writer, And Jolian, when you think of Portugal, you think of racing, you think of Portimao, which is the circuit. It's just fabulous, isn't it? Oh, it's lovely. Great circuit, great location. Uh, I took a fantastic win there in 2010, holding off Benjamin Bailly. And fun fact, holding off Benjamin Bailly. Holding off Benjamin Bailly is not the thing to like. Without that, it would have been impressive. But holding off Benjamin Bailly is just well. My taken fun it down fact was going to make it even better because th- okay. third place was actually Clarky, my old uh, my old F one trainer slash physio as well. So we shared a podium. We all jumped in the swimming pool afterwards, um, and I didn't hold off Benjamin Bailly. To be clear, <laughs> I actually waltzed away in a lights to flag victory. That's good Pole to know. And yet, fastest lap. It was a grand shellum. Well done. Uh, I like the fact that this is a circuit with a swimming pool because there aren't that many of them. Obviously, you've got Monaco with two swimming pools in reality because you've got the plunge pool on the Red Bull floater home and swimming pool. Uh, any any other circuits that have a swimming pool? Well, that's, a, that's a good one, isn't it? That feels like it's a, that's a free practice two conversation, to be honest. But um, <laughs> I'll write it in my little book for when it rains in free have practice you, do, two. Do you, do you know of another one? There is another one. Uh, Monaco, Portimao. Canada's got the lake. Nah, we can't. We can't be counting that. Surely, go on then. Put us out of our misery. Two minutes into the podcast. No, I'm going to let it breathe. Let's okay. come back to it towards the end. You can have a think about it. Um, that's the sort of show it's going to be. <laughs> uh, now, talk us through the track, Jack. While I distract you from your mission of swimming pools at circuits. Uh, Autodromo International to Algarve. What sort of circuit is it? What are we looking forward to this weekend? It's really cool. It's one of those circuits that um, you always would say it would be great to see Formula One at this track, and it never would. And and I think they built it with a sort of vague hope of getting Formula One, as they do many circuits that are built around the world. But it was never really going to uh materialize and it was built sort of around the time of the whole um you know credit crunch in Europe and Portugal particularly suffered with that in the sort of late 2000s but it's a great circuit is it the best for racing difficult to say but to drive i mean i think these cars are going to look spectacular jonian yeah yeah really undulating um it's got, it's just a really nice flowing circuit the drivers that haven't driven it which is most of them 
I think are going to are going to be in for a very enjoyable weekend of driving. Um, overtaking wise, there might be a question mark or two, but there was a question mark or two about Mugello as well, and it was a thriller. So let's let's wait until Sunday, I think, to to pass judgment on that one. Do you know what? I'm going to put myself out there and say Mugello, traditional bikers track, loved it. So I'm going in with the same expectation because Portimao is where hundreds of thousands of people have gone to test bikes, where they have all sorts of bike racing. It's just a great place. And so many things have kind of happened there in the past in the biking world. But Andrew, what about in the F1 world? Is there a Portuguese Grand Prix memory that you have? Because only testing's ever happened actually at Portimao. Well, the last track to hold the Portuguese Grand Prix was Estoril, which is uh, further up the coast, not far from Lisbon. And uh, it was a fantastic place. It was one of my favourite races to go to, actually. And there have been some amazing events there. You know, the uh, Alain Prost and Nicky Lauda settled the championship there in 84. Ayrton Senna's first and one of his greatest wins in 85. Nigel Mansell's last victory for Ferrari in 1990. And then Jacques Villeneuve famously overtaking Michael Schumacher around the outside of the last corner to win in 1996 and take the title to the last race. So if Portimao can live up to those sorts of events, then uh, then we're in for a treat this weekend. Fingers crossed. Uh, lots going on. Um, so the first thing we need to talk about is Haas, because they are looking for two new drivers after it was announced. Well, both of the drivers announced it, actually. Roman Grosjean and Kevin Magnussen taking to social media to say they were no longer going to be racing for the team next season. So let's hear from the drivers. I can't bring, uh, you know, the kind of backing that you need in, in Formula One. I have, you know, I have sponsors and I have partners, but it's not at all, um, you know, big in, in this world. Um, and, you know, it's not enough to make it make a difference really for, for me. But, you know, I'm, I'm not going to speak for the team. Uh, I think, you know, Gunther and, and Gene, and the, Gene and, the, and the team can, can do that. They can, uh, you know tell you what why they why they did what they did but certainly i can't bring uh what a lot of the other drivers can bring out there so um yeah it, it, it is what it is really very similar to kevin i've had some some partners in my career following me through different uh times of teams but um i've never been a paid driver as such and uh, don't want to become one so uh, yeah um it's just the way it is and, and you know similar to kev um in that aspect. Never easy for drivers to have to publicly talk about why they're leaving a team. But, I mean, Andrew Benson, let's come to you first. I mean, what is your understanding of the situation? Is this a financial decision? Is it more than that? Well, Gunter Steiner, the team principal, certainly didn't deny that it was to do with money. Um, I, I think it's not completely to do with money. I mean, obviously, Grosjean and Magnussen will say that it is. And I, I'm, it definitely has something to do with that. Um, but I think there was also a feeling that maybe, you know, these guys had had, or at least the team felt that they'd had long enough with these two and they wanted to shake it up a bit. Um, and I could think, you know, they've been very evenly matched, Grosjean and Magnussen, through, these, through the four years they've been together. And so I think they've just thought, well, let's change them, bring in some cash at the same time. And if the names that are being banded around are the ones that end up there. They are going to get quite a lot of cash out of it. And they're looking to 2022. And this is a key point. Um, they're expecting another bad year next year. They want to have the same driver lineup uh, in 21 as they have in 22. And they didn't want to go into 2022 with these two drivers. So those are the reasons, basically. Kind of makes sense. Jolien, were you surprised at all by the fact they've got rid of both? Not really, because I... I think the same as Andrew really they they talk about the money and and a bit hard done by and maybe if one of the drivers that's rumored to take over it, it is hard to swallow for the, for both Magnussen and Grosjean and I've been teammates with both and I rate them both really highly and I think the car's not made them look great in the last couple of years I think they're they're better drivers than than the Haas car has been certainly this year and um, and they've both been on the podium and, and can show what they can do in better cars. And I think their reputation has gone down a little bit with the performance of the team. Having said that, I said it last week or, or last time, I think Haas could benefit from a, from a shake-up of the drivers just because they're a little bit stagnant there. 
And there are some great drivers on the market. If you ask me, Hulkenberg and Perez, the two best drivers unsigned at the moment. And in a normal world, I would take them over Grosjean and Magnussen. I rate Grosjean and Magnussen high. I probably rate Hulkenberg and Perez a bit higher. But um, I think that the, the freshen up of the team is, is what's important. However... Uh, they're not signing Hulkenberg and Perez by the sounds. And I think it could be, uh, for that reason, a uh, difficult... I, I don't... The future looks bleak for the team, I think, with with basically looking to sign Mick Schumacher and Nikita Mazepin. Is that bleak? I, th- I, I think, think they're so. having I, a I think shocker here. I think, I think they're having a shocker. I agree with Jack. Yeah. This is Mick Schumacher, Formula 2 championship leader. Great. Put him alongside Hulkenberg or Perez, and you've got a really nice driver lineup for a few years going forward. Put him alongside a rookie of average credentials. They're going nowhere. They're, they're really struggling. And, and it's not what Mick needs. Mick needs someone to learn from, someone that can help him as a Formula 2 champion, he may well be at the end of this year, develop and become a solid Formula 1 driver. Mazepin's not going to do that, let's be honest. And this smacks of Williams getting rid of Felipe Massa to partner Lance Stroll with Sergei Sorokin. And it all went south from there, didn't it? I, I Yeah, I have to agree. I think that this is the... It's just gonna... It's just... They're just setting it up to go wrong on so many levels because already by sort of admitting the sort of financial elements... Because look, Grosjean and Magnussen aren't just going to be making this up. If they're both saying we can't bring the kind of money that Haas want, it's because... Haas wants someone to bring money. If they bring in Schumacher and Mazepin, they're bringing in people that bring money. And, you know, semi-credit to Williams when they kept saying that they didn't have Lance Stroll because of his money. Like, they were lying, but at least they were sort of committing to that whole principle of, no, 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 we're hiring him because he's won European Formula 3, and he had won European Formula 3. If you're saying... I mean, not, they're not explicitly saying it, but if you're alluding to, yeah, we're getting rid of Grosjean and Magnussen because we need a bit of money. So you're admitting that the drivers you're bringing in are pay drivers. So when they're underperforming, where does that where does that leave you? And I think a team of Mick Schumacher and Nikita Mazepin is a big danger for Schumacher's career because I think he's he's a chap with a, a solid amount of potential, to be honest. He's not looking like Leclerc and Russell coming through the ranks, but he's looking good enough to to deserve a shot in F1, especially if he wins Formula 2 this year, which he's leading the championship in. But the team are setting themselves up for two rookies. They'll have a year to kind of half get their head around stuff before going into the regulation changes again. So they'll have a year of learning it before it all changes again. They've admitted that they're only signing these people because of the money. I don't see how it pans out well like in if you imagine best case scenario i don't know what best case scenario is schumacher does all right does all right like that's best case scenario for the team it's i think it's balmy it's the end i I think it's the end of Haas. honestly in in the not too distant they're doing it to save themselves you know by taking the money and maybe they have no choice you know i i kind of thought would Haas even continue past this year given everything that Gene Haas is putting into it and he's putting in a lot of a lot of money and the team are going backwards and it's not quite panning out how he thought it would when they joined in 2016 when they were quite competitive and and they've gone backwards this year with a large part of it due to the Ferrari engine but i just think formula 1 is so so complex experience makes a big difference you can make up for experience with a incredible talent do either of those two drivers have that absolute wow factor of incredible talent? In my opinion, maybe not. Although let's hold judgment on Mick Schumacher if he's a Formula 2 champion. But then you need that to partner someone who has the experience. And two rookies, they're, they're going to struggle like mad. And already they don't have a competitive car. It's not only Haas that you have to question the decision-making for either. I mean, people may remember it's only two weeks ago that Mick Schumacher was due to make his free practice debut in an Alfa Romeo. So you might be saying, well, why aren't we talking about him signing for Alfa Romeo like we were two weeks ago? Well, the reason for that is that they are are now talking about keeping Giovinazzi, and that's because Ferrari wanted to give Giovinazzi another go. Now, in my opinion, I don't think Giovinazzi's done enough to justify another go, 
I'd kick both Alfa Romeo drivers out, actually, if it was me, on just on Brutal. pure performance terms. <laughs> but, um, you know, if they want to keep Kimi Raikkonen because he's good profile for the team, then put Mick Schumacher, if you're Ferrari, they should be putting Mick Schumacher in alongside him at Alfa Romeo and Haas can deal with whatever they want to deal with. Uh, so the whole, between those two teams, it seems Ferrari have got their, th- in, in my uh, humble opinion, it would. It seems that Ferrari have got their thinking modelled and that's now leading to difficult situations at Haas as well. But if you're Alfa Romeo, they'd probably quite like Haas to go down the doldrums, wouldn't they, with a couple of rookies <laughs> and get lost for the next couple of years? Actually, Giovinazzi's had some good performances. He's stacked up okay against Raikkonen. Yeah, it's not the most inspiring midfield team lineup with Kimi Raikkonen aged, was he 41? And Antonio Giovinazzi, who's been a little bit error prone up and down but if they take away a load of well some you know if they're basically hand Mick Schumacher and Nikita Mazepin to Haas then it's one team they probably won't have to worry about so much for me you've got to have someone at Haas with some experience because the team doesn't have much experience you know we've seen over the last few years how much they've been struggling as a team so keep for me keep Kevin Magnussen for another two years he's only 28 He'll be 30. He's been decent. He's done some mega things. Just keep Magnussen or bring in Perez or Hulk. But Jack, they got confused. The team got confused and lost their way with two experienced drivers in there. So they might as well go for two totally inexperienced drivers and then they can at least not have the drivers sounding off at them saying this is rubbish and conflicting each other's feedback and stuff. They've been, let's say, they've been poor. Well, that, that was the exact thing with, with Stroll and Sorotkin, was that one would come in from a session and say it's understeering like a pig, and the other one would say it's snappy oversteer everywhere, I can't drive it, and they went backwards. The team is generally struggling for personnel. They haven't got enough staff. There's, there's bigger issues at Haas because of the way they run the team, and you can understand it in the way that Gene Haas wanted to come in, and I think they've done an admirable job. But... You need an experienced driver to to come in, and if you're gonna take rookies, Nikita Mazepin is he's sixth in Formula Two in his second year. He's okay. He's won a couple of races, and him alongside an experienced driver, you know, fine. Maybe 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 it'd be okay. But the two of them together, I think, is the combination that's that's going to give them a headache. I think one one or other, preferably the one that's winning the championship with a good experienced driver, which there are out there. Magnussen, he's got some backing. He's got some sponsors that help the team out. There's been Jack and Jones on the car for a, for a couple of years. Um, I'm sure it's peanuts compared to um, to the potential new backing. But And the same with Grosjean. They both said it. You know, they've got... They're not offering absolutely nothing to the team. But uh, I, I think what they can offer in terms of experience and knowledge, plus you've got Perez and Hulkenberg out there, think it really is going to be so important it's going to be a huge loss to them I wonder how the other drivers respond to this news if they think especially as as we have to address you know the fact that coronavirus is being you know one of the reasons for a lot of these decisions people are saying well this is the new era we find themselves ourselves in businesses can't have the big budgets that they had I mean Lewis Hamilton was asked a question similarly today about coronavirus and whether he might have to take a pay cut I mean the reality of the situation is teams may well have to go back to a different principle of taking pay drivers because they cannot afford a, a different option do you think drivers are worried about it Jolian I think it's not good when you're a driver in Formula One and you're being replaced by someone that's less talented, but, you know, has a billionaire behind him, you cannot fight that. And Felipe Massa had that at Williams before. Nico Hulkenberg had that back with Pastor Maldonado in, in Williams a while ago. So it's not an absolutely new thing. But um, there's nothing you can do. And for Magnussen and Grosjean, I think they've got the talent to be in Formula One. I think they are in the bracket of the 20 best drivers out there, probably. I think... I'd take them at Alfa Romeo, but I, you know, for them to be replaced and and it being out of, out of their control in terms of what they can do on track and performance is is a worry. Yeah. So what do they do then, Jack? What are the uh, what does it look like the options are for Grosjean and Magnussen? Well, like Jolian just said, they are two of the twenty ish best drivers in the world. I'm not a hundred percent sure I'm putting them quite in that bracket, but it's difficult to argue against it. So. They'll, they'll find a seat 
somewhere there's been chatter that uh, Grosjean had a little go on the simulator at Mahindra for Formula E, but they've kind of got both of their drivers sorted. So I don't think that's going to be a a real goer. Magnussen said that he wouldn't mind doing a bit of IndyCar, but it all just depends what, what occurs and what's offered to them, isn't it? Because also not being pay drivers, they they then need to have this sort of question of they, they're not going to bring budget to go somewhere. I guess not dissimilar to you, Jolian, when you left, it's like, you're not then going to just go and race something and bring Jack and Jones to, you know, whatever, whatever you're doing and, and get more sponsorship money to not do F1. Yeah, exactly. And we talk about the coronavirus effect on Formula One. Well, this effect is also happening on all other motorsport series around there. So it's not easy, even if you've got the talent to walk into other great series and expect to be paid anything like sensible money for uh, for, for the level of driver they are. So I'm sure they should pick up something. They're, they're both very good drivers, but it, I don't think it's an absolute simple one at the moment. And that's just the, the world we live in. And that leads us nicely on to talking about George Russell, because his future at Williams has been brought into question this week after a few murmurs in the paddock suggesting the new owners are looking for a driver to bring some cash in, with Sergio Perez's name being mentioned. Is there any truth in in the rumour that's going around? Andrew, let's come to you. What, What did George Russell have to say today? Well, he said he wasn't worried, but we should remember that it's not that long ago that Sergio Perez says he wasn't worried about the rumours about Sebastian Vettel going to his team, and look what happened there. So He's got a contract, think, Perez. Yeah, exactly. And so has Russell, actually, uh, for that matter, <laughs> which is, which was the point he was making. Um, he's obviously got Mercedes as backing, so he'll be all right on one level or another. Um, I don't think we can take anything for granted at the moment, though, contract or not contract. Williams has new owners. Uh, we don't really know what they want out of Williams yet, um, but you could see from their point of view, you know, if Nicola, if Nicholas Latifi is going to keep his drive, he brings a big wad of cash for his seat. Um, you could see why it would be appealing to swap out Russell, who um, doesn't bring anywhere near as much money as Perez could, for example, with his Mexican backing. And Perez is obviously a very decent peddler to put in that car. So I, 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 certainly, I certainly wouldn't rule out that as a possibility. Um, I just want to keep a careful eye on. The problem for Russell in this instance is that Perez is 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 the perfect fit for independent teams struggling for for money and wanting a good driver. He's he's a proven podium finisher, and he brings a lot of Mexican backing. And he's he's, he's racing at a, at a very high level. Is he better than George Russell? Russell's never had a true comparison to really be able to gauge where he's at, but. It would be so harsh on him. He's never been out qualified by a teammate. Even through, even though he's missed out on Fridays, he's gone blind into qualifying. He's done whatever. He's he's got the talent to never be out qualified by a teammate. He's done everything right at Williams, and it would be a. I mean, what do contracts mean these days? It's a real sad state of affairs, really. What about Red Bull? What what are Red Bull thinking at the moment? I don't think they're going to take George Russell. <laughs> that was flippant of course it's a good but- no it's a good question though because there's a very real possibility that Alex Albon could lose that seat and Helmut Marco's been talking about it uh, about that situation Helmut Marco the Red the Red Bull motorsport director um you know in the past they've always been steadfast in this idea of uh, pursuing the Red Bull driver program to the extent of for example in 2014 not wanting to take Fernando Alonso of all people uh, things have changed because uh, they've found in a little found themselves in a bit of a spot. They don't, clearly don't want to promote Pierre Gasly back to the works team, the, the number one team, I should say. Alex Albon hasn't yet done enough to justify his place for another year, and he's running out of time to do it. And Perez and Hulkenberg are two very real possibilities for that seat. So there are a few things to shake out before we can be certain about anything, whether it be Williams or Red Bull or anywhere or anyone else who doesn't have Just a to- confirmed lineup yet. Just to confound those rumours, I suppose, it doesn't help that when Alexander Albon returned um, an uh, inconclusive COVID test last time out, they actually spoke to Hulkenberg to potentially get in that Red Bull if needed. So that's, I think, just stirred the pot. And there's a lot of pot stirring at this time of year anyway. It's in a lot of people's interest to get that speculation going and to get their campaign kind of, I suppose, verbally whispered around a very empty paddock at the moment. Um, and, and that, uh, I suppose, brings us to our next subject of discussion, which is Racing Point. 
Now, there appear to be even more questions than answers regarding Lance Stroll and his um, positive test for coronavirus after the German race two weeks ago. Now, Stroll took no part in the weekend, saying he felt unwell. He was replaced by Nico Hülkenberg at the very last minute. However, the information coming out of the team is puzzling, Andrew. Yes, they've been giving very misleading and confusing and contradictory information. If people remember Otmar Zafnauer, the team principal of Racing Point, uh, the last Grand Prix, he said that uh, Stroll had uh, flu-like symptoms and fatigue and diarrhoea, all of which are are symptoms of coronavirus. And yet they thought he didn't have coronavirus and his doctor said he didn't have coronavirus and they didn't test him for coronavirus. And yet, lo and behold, he flies out of Germany, gets home to Switzerland, has a COVID test, and he has got coronavirus. Well, you know, knock me sideways with a feather. Um, and and then we we had a news conference with Zafnauer again this morning where he says, oh, he only had a tummy bug. And I said, Otmar, you actually told everybody in Nürburgring that he had these other symptoms. Oh, did I? I must have misspoken. I mean, come on, give me a break. Um, so they've spent basically 36 hours digging themselves deeper and deeper into the same hole. Lance Stroll was given the opportunity this afternoon to clear up what his symptoms had been at what times, and he didn't. And he basically didn't take it. So we're none the wiser, but it's certainly true that Racing Point have really not impressed lots of people in Formula One. The FIA have given them a warning as to their responsibilities under the COVID code, and lots of the other teams are looking at them and going, this is absolutely shocking and scandalous. Well, let's hear what Lance Stroll had to say earlier on today. I'm, uh, I'm good. I'm alive. I'm breathing. I'm healthy. I'm ready for the weekend. Good. The team said it was a gastric thing first, but then you found out with a subsequent test that you had COVID. Yeah, yeah I woke up with an upset stomach on Saturday morning. Um, didn't have any other symptoms, just an upset stomach. And, uh, and I got home uh, Sunday evening and I uh, took my, my scheduled tests that I always take uh, after the race weekend and uh, yeah, it came out positive. It's only two drivers in the paddock who've had COVID and they're both from the same team. Is there anything going on with Racing Point? I mean, uh, yeah, the, a lot of people have this virus in the world. It you know, takes nothing to get it. So that's all I can say about it. It can be anyone. Anyone can, can get this virus. And nothing about precautions that you need to take differently into the future? Yeah, I mean, you know, hindsight's a beautiful thing. Um, I was disappointed I got it, but I got it, and uh, now I'm looking forward to the weekend. I mean, listening to Lance Stroll, hearing what Racing Point had to say, I mean, we've already said it, it just, the water is so muddied now, it's just more and more confused every time they open their mouths. I mean, if you think back to the end of the Eiffel Grand Prix in Germany, they actually said that Stroll has been feeling unwell since Russia, he hasn't been able to train since Russia and wasn't capable of getting in the car because he hadn't trained and didn't feel capable of it. That's very different from waking up on Saturday morning and not feeling very well. So I think more questions will be asked. I think more questions, surely, Andrew, have to be asked of the FIA as well and whether their protocols are actually strict enough. Well, I mean, just to take Lance Stroll for a start, he said, you know, uh, in his statement, oh, I only had mild symptoms. Well, he missed a race. You know, they're not, that's not mild symptoms. And, you know, the FIA are no better. You know, yesterday I asked the FIA, what are you doing about what appears to be a breach of your COVID code? And they told me, it's on the BBC website, we don't think there's been a breach of the COVID code. 24 hours later, they're giving them a reprimand for breaking the COVID code. I mean, you know, it's just the whole thing has been an absolute shambles. And uh, Ted Kravitz, who was doing the interview there, made a very good point. Okay, some other teams have had COVID cases, but only two drivers have caught it, and they're both in the same team. And yet Omar Zafnau, the team boss, was saying today, oh, we don't need to change anything about our our protocols. You know, they really need to take a look at themselves and work out what's gone wrong here. It's gross negligence, isn't it? It's just absolute gross negligence to have someone at a track feeling ill, too ill to come in, and Lance Stroll didn't come in, you know, the slight bit of mitigation for him in case it was COVID. He didn't want to infect anyone, but then test the guy, give him a test. He's been hanging out on Thursday and Friday at at the track. He could have infected people. They managed to give Nico Hulkenberg a test who arrived on Saturday morning at a two hour test, knew he was all clear. Why, why not just get Lance Stroll a test? Was it because he wanted to fly home and he didn't want us quarantined for two weeks in Germany? Is there, too, is there too much leeway being given to the teams to actually test when they want to rather than having to test at a certain time, which is beneficial to the whole structure? Well, they've changed the rules this week, Jen. And uh, interestingly, the FIA, they've introduced this new system where once you, 
you've got to have a test to get into the paddock. And then once you're in the paddock, you've got to have another test within 24 hours. So that is a big change to the protocols. People might remember that when they were first coming up with these protocols, initially they were talking about testing people every two days. Then before the season started, they changed that to every five days. Obviously, you know, we have to give them some leeway. You know, this is a constantly changing situation. You know, it's not that, not that long ago that governments and even the World Health Organization were saying it's not beneficial to wear a mask. And now everybody's saying you should wear a mask. So, um, you know, cut them some slack to, as, to Formula One as a sport but I think Racing Point, despite what they say, there's some there's some serious questions that they need to address, even if they're not prepared to admit it publicly. And Otmar said today that he actually, when Lance was ill on Saturday, he tried to call him to tell him to come into the paddock and drive the car. Are you joking with me? The guy's displaying the- COVID symptoms and you're trying to get him into the paddock. You're not going to give him a test. You're going to try and persuade him to come in. You're having a laugh. Mm-hmm. And they keep saying hindsight's a wonderful thing. But foresight's good as well. <laughs> it works. Foresight's better. But we, but we were all there on the on the on the Friday. We all kind of like not on air. You don't sort of speculate this stuff. But obviously, when we're having lunch or we're or you're texting people or journalists or something, everyone's on like, the Saturday. It was yeah. On the sorry, on the Saturday, you're all being like, oh, sounds like Lance has got. COVID. Like I mean, we're I think saying we said it on air. air. We were like, we might have in said a time of COVID, you know, surely but, you have to question whether he's COVID positive or but not. this is because obviously yeah. people don't miss Formula One races. Mark Webber was sick in his helmet in Fuji. People drive with, you know, a cold. They drive with whatever they can to get through a Grand Prix. It's been done numerous times. And to actually sit out a race because you've got an upset stomach is relatively unheard of. I, don't, I, I can't actually think of someone that, declared after the race they missed it for an up, upset stomach maybe other well, you medical think of Nikki, grounds but Nikki louder monza 76 like it's a bit I, different isn't it i mean we're in a different time in a different yeah. place and covid is a weird thing and it, it affects people very differently i, I mean we all we all knew all there was strange. the risk we're in of a course. pandemic get a test <laughs> and then and then you know we can be a lot clearer who's he been hanging out with on the on the days before it's just absolute negligence and for me it, it, this is a crazy thing. When Formula One puts so much into going racing and you have one team that's had two drivers have a positive test, one went to Mexico when they were in a surge of, of COVID cases. At the time, I thought, you know, maybe give them a little bit of leeway. His mother was ill, Perez or whatever. But now they've had a second driver. They've not even given him a test when he's displaying COVID symptoms. They're asking him to come into the track and actually Stroll is saying, no, I don't feel up for it. And Formula One is doing so much. And this last last race risked derailing the entire series, possibly for the rest of the year. Think of everyone's livelihoods that, we, that could lose out from that. Think of people, we're talking about people struggling for money already, teams needing paid drivers. Take out four, four races because half the grid's got COVID. Suddenly it, the picture looks very different. Well, take out four races, Jolie, and they don't, they don't get all the TV money. You know, that's a big hit to their incomes. You've made a really good point there because let's not forget that to get this season off the ground, Formula One had to negotiate with national governments. They had to give them reassurances that they would act responsibly and do everything they possibly could to minimise the potential spread of coronavirus. That's how they got the travel exemption that everyone who lives in the UK has to be able to move freely without quarantine, whichever European country they've gone to, whether that country for anybody else would require quarantine restrictions. So to, to play fast and loose with those rules is a, is a really irresponsible thing for them to do. And I'm a bit, I'm actually surprised that the FIA hasn't come, hasn't been a bit stricter with them about it. And I know that, you know, other people within Formula One uh, in other teams feel the same way. Yeah. Whilst I've got a beer in my bonnet, that's ridiculous as well, that they get a warning for a breach of COVID regulations, which this is a, this is a worldwide thing. And the FIA, you just knew they weren't going to do anything. You just knew that despite a serious breach of something that could derail the entire sport, they get a slap on the wrists. It's just astonishing that there's no no punishment for Racing Point, who tried to call their driver up to race despite him having COVID, wouldn't get him a test and the rest of it, just so he could fly home on Sunday and then have a test. And it's not quite the same scenario, but we did say this after the Bottas and Leclerc warnings earlier in the year when Leclerc threw back to Monaco, we were saying, well, 
no, come on, are we taking this seriously or not? Oh, you can fly back and you'll just get a bit of a warning. I know it's much different, but it's still that same. Are we sort of enforcing this or not? Yeah, but you, trying to compare those two is is no, I know, but it's pretty different the... to a guy being ill at the track and not agreed, receiving agreed. a COVID test, and the team sort of carrying on as normal and just actively saying he's not got COVID, he's got no COVID symptoms, he's this, he's this and that, and then getting their muddy their their waters all muddied, saying he's got flu symptoms at times as well, compared to guys that went home and then came back. That's also not great at the start of the year, but those guys had at least no symptoms and were supposedly not hanging around anyone that had symptoms. Also not good, but this is a completely different kettle of fish. And to me, is a, is an entire huge amount more serious. Is it worth at this point, I suppose, saying about Mercedes, who actually did have people that they flew out as substitutes for the team because they had positive tests? And it, it just seems like a very different treatment to this, a, a similar issue, which is if you've got an inconclusive test or you've got a test which is positive, you get those people out, you enforce the bubbles and you make sure that, yeah, OK, you might have to scramble a team out to cover you, but that's what you do. But how? what I want to know is how Racing Point haven't actually been quite damaged by this in terms of actually illness in the team. Because it, it, it's a little bit strange that Stroll was doing a track walk with his engineers on Thursday. He was in the garage on Friday when we had the the fogged off sessions. And yet no one else seems to have caught it from him. And then Saturday morning comes down with these symptoms. We've been told there's a bit of an incubation period. I don't know the the absolute details and I'm not an epidemiologist, but it does seem a bit strange that, you know, there's not been a, a micro outbreak in, in their team when Stroll has contracted it mid-weekend at the track. Well, it's worth also pointing out that his father, Lawrence Stroll, has also tested positive for coronavirus. He's supposedly meant to be fit and healthy, but then well, so was Lance Stroll. So. Jenny, that's another really weird aspect of the story. So he, Lawrence Stroll wasn't in Russia or Germany, and yet he had a test, according to the team this is, he had a test on Thursday of the Eiffel Grand Prix weekend when he was at Aston Martin, which is a, a company he's taken over, which is why Racing Point's being renamed Aston Martin next year. And that test came back negative. Then he flies back to Switzerland, same place as his son, has a test at the same time as his son on the Sunday afternoon. And lo and behold, that test is positive. So two, you know, a father and a son in two different places have a test at the same time and coincidentally, apparently, both test positive at the same time. I mean, you know, you couldn't make this stuff up, could you? So it, it all adds to the impression of something really strange going down and clearly the whole story has not been told in an in a transparent and honest way and um maybe we should just leave it at that apart from to say that you know there's been three incidences this week this year you know that have really compromised racing points reputation the two driver positive tests are two of them and the other one of course is the argument over copying mercedes brake ducts and uh you know they are definitely persona non grata up and down the pit lane at the moment because of that. And they were so adamant at defending that brake ducks thing. And you sort of thought they're backing themselves so hard about this that maybe and then they, know, dropped they, it. they felt hurt and then they dropped it. But all this, you just you just don't trust them, basically. And they're, 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 they're not talking sense a lot of the time in, in these bigger political things. They make a great car. Well... Or they copy the car, <laughs> but um, they run. They run a good team in in a sporting sense, but off the track, it's it's a horrible year for them. What would be an appropriate punishment for this? If you were the FIA, any of you, what what is a what is what what should be, what if what is throwing the book at, at them? They are a fine at the at the minimum. Miss, missing a race. You know, this is a this is a, as far as I can see, it's a pretty serious breach of COVID COVID rules in Formula One. This is the the one thing that can derail the entire sport this year. You gotta be coming down pretty heavy on them. Maybe one car. They they don't race with one car this weekend or something. But at the very least is a fine. They they got they got fifteen penalty points for that infringement on the brake ducts, but. 
I just think a slap on the wrist is, well, we know it's basically nothing, is it? What do you guys think? I think it's very difficult to penalise them. I think what just needs to happen is that the rules need to be enforced better and going forward, you cannot have... I just think going forward, you cannot have this grey area that allows somebody to not feel well and not do anything about it, potentially come into the track, potentially not have a test. I think they have to make sure that in the future those protocols are tighter and the FIA have to do something to ensure that, you know, as soon as somebody is ill, and let's face it, every single one of us in whatever workplace environment that we have or that we enter, we have a responsibility to ourselves and everybody else around us that if we are not feeling well, we have to call ourselves out and say, okay, I'm not feeling well. I'm not going to risk it for the sake of whomever it may be. And, and I think the team had that responsibility. And I think Lance had that responsibility. And it looks to me like they they failed to hold themselves accountable. I think that's the biggest concern here. Uh, regardless of what punishment they should or shouldn't have had, the, the biggest concern is that is their lack of acceptance of having done anything wrong or of having made any mistakes you know, for Otmar Zafnauer to say today, this morning, as he did, we don't need to change anything. We're already doing everything we, we can and should be doing. Well, I don't know how someone can say that when their driver displays COVID symptoms and they don't test him. You know, it's, um, it's. I would hope that they're just saying that publicly and that privately they do realise that they've made, you know, a, that they've stepped in a massive mess of their own making here and that they'll come out the other side and learn the lessons but there isn't any public evidence that that's the case yet but also with with no real punishment then the, it it kind of leads leads everyone to think that yeah they got a warning for it and and they should have been better but no no one's come down on them hard for this for for this so it makes it all feel like a, a non-event almost in in the in the grand scheme well, I think the the reason the other teams are so upset about it is that they've all been taking it very seriously, you know, and they look at Racing Point and think, well, hang on a minute, this isn't how we, we've been conducting ourselves and you're right to draw the parallels, Jenny, uh, with the way Mercedes handled the fact that they had some personnel test positive at the beginning of the Eiffel Grand Prix weekend. That's why the other teams, the ones that I've spoken to, are so upset about it. Um, so I, it comes back to the same point. You know, there needs to be an, ex, an acceptance at Racing Point that this hasn't gone the way it should have done and they need to make some changes as a result. And it's all with COVID spiking throughout Europe and the UK. You know, we're going into localised lockdowns and it's serious measures where a lot of these teams are based. And when we had lockdown before, there was no Formula One. Formula One took off as, as lockdowns eased, the COVID numbers were, were down over the summer and the numbers were, were were better. There was a lower rate of infection. The R was down. But now it's coming up and it's like Formula One needs to do even more to make sure there's there's no COVID coming into the paddock because it wouldn't take a lot to derail the entire thing here. I think it's also interesting that, you know, we're expecting the calendar for next season to be announced in the coming weeks. 23 races, so they're carrying on as if... COVID almost never happened and is irrelevant to them, which is maybe a, a good business principle and what they have to do. But a lot of people are surprised by the fact that they plan to start in Melbourne on the 14th of March. Business as usual. Well, all, all of this, Jenny, depends on what state the various countries around the world that F1 wants to race in are in at that time. They can say now in October, we plan to race in Melbourne in um March and I understand that they have the government there has accepted that they can hold the race and there will be fans. Whether anyone can travel to Australia to who's not in Australia already to attend the race is a completely different question. And whether that remains the case, um, you know, uh, we we don't know because we don't know how the coronavirus situation is going to go in the state of Victoria in Australia. Although obviously they've handled it generally a lot better over there than uh, many countries in Europe have. And then the same questions apply to every other race after that. You know, did China want to have a load of Westerners turn up in their, in their, in their country to hold a race? What about Vietnam, which was, it has been another success story in, t- instead of con- uh, in terms of controlling the virus? What state's Europe going to be in? 
uh, this time next year? You know, uh, can Grand Prix still be held? Will that what's because the, as Julian says, the virus is spiking everywhere in Europe at the moment. Uh, they can plan a calendar. That's not planning it and publishing it is not the same as it is actually holding it when it gets to it next year. And this was actually a really important part of this, I think, because a couple of months ago, was it Chase Carey said, we've proven we can hold a Formula One race anywhere because, you know, we're doing all the rigor, da, 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 the testing, the this, the that. And I believed them, to be honest. And, I, and it makes sense if everyone's doing their mini bubbles within their bubbles, all of that. When you've got a driver testing positive when he's feeling ill, and then going and hanging out with the rest of the team, that's going to put question marks over governments being like, well, hang on, you had two positive drivers last year and they're in like 20 of the, you know, 600 or whatever go to each race. So I, I think this could be quite a big thing on on the confidence of Formula One to be able to to pull this off as well. If Formula went a whole year with no cases, maybe Australia are like, yeah, fine. Maybe China are like, yeah, fine. But couple of the drivers getting it could change the perceptions quite a lot okay always uh, interesting to hear what everybody has to say remember you can get in touch with us at hashtag bbc f1 or f1 at bbc.co.uk just a couple of other things to chat about before we go hamilton could break michael schumacher's record this weekend of 91 race wins which he equaled last time out he's looking for 92 this time out i mean chances are high i'd say jolian yep certainly He's uh, he's on good form, and why not? Mercedes will be the car to beat, I would expect. It'd be interesting to see if Red Bull can actually close the gap a little more, but um, he's always favourite, isn't he, at the moment, Lewis Hamilton? <laughs> Worth also pointing out Mercedes looking for their seventh consecutive Constructors title this weekend. They'd have to win uh, 40 points or more from their closest rival, Red Bull. So, I mean, it's possible if Red Bull fail to finish, let's say, then that's... Uh, you know, Mercedes won two and they've got it. Um, it's a remarkable feat, isn't it? As they, I mean, they will get that seventh constructors title. It's a, a matter of timing, and, and no one's done that before. Well, we run out of superlatives for Mercedes and Hamilton, don't we, Jenny? At the moment, they've just it's been extraordinary. And one of the, one of the most extraordinary things about this season, I think, is that this car is quite possibly the most dominant one they've produced in that entire period. I mean, you can question the beginning of the hybrid era, but for them to be able to carry on at this incredible level of superiority that they've had this year is is it's a huge testament to the collective skills of the people there it's worth making the point however that mercedes have stopped developing this car as of the belgian grand prix a few races ago while red bull are still developing theirs and if you track the uh, gaps between the cars from race to race as i do you can see it's very much coming down at the moment between mercedes and red bull so it may well get closer and closer as the season goes on that won't stop Hamilton and Mercedes winning the championship, but it might make for a few uh, more competitive races. And then we'll get to Australia in March the 14th next year in the <laughs> Gulf between Mercedes and Red Bull will once again be huge because we realise the only reason that Red Bull have closed in is because Mercedes have stopped trying. Great. Uh, the, well, the one curiosity in all of this, Jack, is that Lewis Hamilton doesn't have a contract yet for next year. Could he be going to Haas? Let's <laughs> <laughs> bring it back to where we started. It would be so cool if he went to Williams. Like, it I think that it he wouldn't, went, oh, Jack. <laughs> of course it would. Of course it would. Of course it would. It would be no, it so wouldn't. cool. It would. It would be a real, like, like out of choice as well to go and, you know, let's rebuild. If he goes, if we remember when you used to have player managers in football, if you went there as, like, driver team principal, Hamilton, he started his Extreme E team, actually, just forget that. Well, not forget Extreme E, I'm sure it's going to be great. But, like, forget. Um, you know, go there as driver team principal of Williams to try and rebuild them with their new investment and stuff. That would be super cool. With Seriously their new investment stupid. that needs a pay driver year one. So seriously yeah, point, stupid point taken, question but... here. Toto Wolff, not, not in contract. Lewis Hamilton, not in contract. If Lewis Hamilton and Toto Wolff go to um, Williams, how long would it take them to be in a top level car? How many years? 
Come They're on. not going to Williams. Total Wolf oh, will be Total Wolf will be Total Wolf will be the most senior person within Mercedes F1 next year. He may not be called team principal anymore. He may not go to as many Grand Prix. He will be in that role. Lewis Hamilton will be their number one driver. He may not be earning quite as much money as he is this year because of the various difficulties that Mercedes have been going through, but he will be there. It's just a question of them tying everything up. Obviously, I totally agree with that. That's basically fact. And in answer if to your question, isn't... it's down to the money, isn't it? If they had Mercedes level of backing, they could get towards the front. Yeah. If they don't, they probably won't. They won't. We're out of time, thank goodness. But you can join us for more of this uh, through the free practice sessions. There could be a bit of rain on the horizon. You never know. It is Portimao. Um, but make sure you come and what? The famously sunny place that's guaranteed <laughs> sun all year and where everybody goes in the winter for golfing on beautiful weather. <laughs> yeah, it's not Sheffield, is it? <laughs> it's just as hilly. Um, <laughs> but there is rain potentially due so there we go uh, right make sure you join us because this is how much fun we have you can follow all the weekend's action on sports extra probably because they won't allow us on five live anymore and the bbc sport website the race goes off a little earlier than usual remember 10 past one so exactly the same time as last time this has been an img production for bbc radio five live I'm Emily Maitlis. And I'm John Sopel. And we're here to tell you about Americast. There's less than 100 days until the presidential election on November the 3rd. And there's a lot to talk about. I am your president of law and order. This is not out of character for Donald Trump. The country is crying out for leadership. Joe Biden, if he wins the election, is going to be 78 on day one. It's not going to be geeky. We're going to bring it to life. We're going to have an outsider's view, but an expert eye on what is happening in America. The pandemic, whether we like it or not, has dominated the whole electoral cycle and will continue to dominate it. On our bingo card, I don't think we had demon sperm at any point. <laughs> oh, you fool. Why not? Once again, we have run out of time, but with plenty more to say. Maitlis, do you think we could pioneer the four-hour podcast? <laughs> you can find Americast on BBC Sounds in the UK or on other podcast platforms if you're not. Hi everyone, I'm Jen. And I'm Jess. We're the hosts of the beauty podcast, Fat Mascara, here to tell you about Strivectin's new Super C Retinol Brighten and Correct Vitamin C Serum. We often interview dermatologists on our podcast and two of their favorite skincare ingredients to recommend are retinol and vitamin C. This Strivectin serum has both in one lightweight layerable formula. It also helps to smooth fine lines and it's clinically proven to visibly brighten and firm skin. If you want to learn more about Strivectin's new Super C Retinol Brighten and Correct Vitamin C Serum, Visit strivectin.com.